got like 10 studs in Dubai now. That was 4.6 million actually. Okay, well, Get 10 to Asia to race Lamborghini Hurricane. Oh. I looked, it was around quarter of a mil. 20k sales, 30. <laughs> Wild! Yeah, it's great! <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear your whole story to be honest because I know it's a bit of a fascinating one. So how did everything start off for you? You know, was you always an entrepreneur from the, did you have like an entrepreneurial mindset from the being young? How did that kind of go from you, for you? Yeah, it's funny because I feel old now at 26 thinking <laughs> back. I guess, yeah, I've, I've told this story a few months ago on another pod yeah. and then I think I've, I spoke obviously little bits here and there on my own pod, the Midnight Pod, which I'm not sure if I'm going to continue doing it or not at the minute, it's a bit of a dilemma, but I guess entrepreneurially probably started when I was maybe like 16 to 18, um, grew up in the north in York, yeah. went to a standard state school, mum was a nurse, all this shit, wasn't exposed to entrepreneurship or like making money out of you know any normal ways at all, went to uni, fucking hated uni, didn't want to be there, yeah. I guess started selling stuff on like eBay when I was like 16, like you know just trying different things here yeah. and there used to be obsessed with rowing so I was like properly into sports like that was my real focus my passion when I was like age 11 to probably like 18 then when I was at uni I'm trying to think back now I actually feel so long ago I've almost forgotten <laughs> I've done loads of different things I guess the yeah. first thing I did I started a, a clothing brand like the first Shopify brand I had yeah. called Gentry Club funnily enough which was literally like white t-shirts me stitching a fucking logo on it didn't know what the fuck I was doing Mad. was working in John Lewis when I was 18 summer job like five pound an hour put all my money into into stock basically and i remember people in the year below literally like taking the piss out of me it was a classic don't know what the fuck yeah. i'm doing didn't sell any and then sacked that off didn't really work that was like the first first card on the table first foray into e-com i mm -hmm. guess and then went to uni i was studying business for like six weeks dropped out went into the placement when i was 19 because i dropped out in m a mergers and acquisitions in yeah. mayfair in london and I guess that was when I was first exposed to like entrepreneurship and people that had actually built businesses because you know I'd been interested in it broadly online, but like I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anyone yeah. family that started business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. None of my mates were entrepreneurial at all. I always felt like the odd one out to be honest. Like mm -hmm. didn't want to be at uni, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like I said, dropped out. Did this placement for like six months, then went back to uni to study advertising, ironically, because that's kind of what I got into, and ended yeah. up dropping out again. But while I was in uni, you must have had, I don't know, five or six different like drop shipping what, stores. What was that like? Into. I had a, a leggings brand called Wavy yeah. Leggings, which was like <laughs> the first thing that made a bit of money. Probably did like 10 grand in revenue. Mm. It wasn't running paid ads or anything. Yeah. It was like print on demand. Because so I didn't how, have any, how any you, money to buy stock. Yeah. How, so how was you growing that? Like How was you actually like driving them sales on your first? Literally Instagram, like yeah. organic Instagram. And this is going back, this is back in like 2015. So yeah. fucking ages ago now. First thing that ever really did any numbers, so I was still in uni, this would have been end of 2016, summer 2016, that sort of time. Discovered Facebook ads, started drop shipping jeans, because like Geordie Shaw was massive <laughs> at the time. Yeah. I was living in Newcastle, so obviously that's where they filmed stuff. Saw a trend of like people wearing ripped jeans, spray on skinny, all that sort of shit. Started drop shipping this shit from China, running Facebook ads, like CPAs were like two quid back then, and I was like, fucking hell, we've got Mad. a business here. Mate got involved, he put like some savings in and like it became like 50, 50 partners, I think it was. We ended up getting an office while, while I was in uni, probably doing like 30 to 50 grand a month in revenue at this point. Like, and I was, you know, making enough profit to, in my mind, suddenly it was like, I don't need to be at uni. Yeah. So I just stopped going. And this would have been start of 2017. Um, just stopped going basically. And it gets to summer 2017. I got kicked out of uni technically because I just 
didn't submit any yeah. work, told my parents I wasn't going anymore. At this point, I had an office in Newcastle. It was a bit of a weird setup. So I'm living in a shared house as a student at 21. Mad. With like five other guys. Normally knows what the fuck yeah. I'm doing. I think they all think I'm just some drug addict or whatever. <laughs> drug dealer. And I was just like hustling away, early days. That, that dropshipping brand ended up becoming a brand called Dusk. Mm-hmm. So this is mad thinking about now because I always tell people about like the other two brands that we'll get onto before yeah. the current one. Yeah, yeah. But I actually did a lot of stuff before that. And I often think if I'd stuck with that, that could have been like multi, multi million mm. pound business. But it never got to that point because we probably did like, I don't know, two, three hundred grand in revenue, made yeah. a bit of money. But me and my mate fell out. We got a, a legal dispute over the, the brand name. Some yeah. company in America sued us. Basically said you wow. can't, can't sell anything else anymore. And I was like, fuck this. Kind of fell out with my mate who's effectively the co-founder who's now an investor in my business. So it's funny how things come wow. full circle. Um, Ollie, he, he runs Saw with us agency if he's watching this. Um, brings us to summer 17, I would have been 21, and I was like... But can I quickly stop you? So, you probably thought about making money from your phone before, or your bedroom, or wherever the hell you want to. Well, the thing is, you're probably thinking, this is probably impossible, but it's actually not. There are tons of side hustles out there that you can get involved with to make a profit on. For example, reselling. There is this app for your phone, we'll pop it on screen now. We made this app, and basically it teaches you exactly how to resell, tells you when these limited edition, highly demanded items come out. All you have to do is buy them, and sell them on eBay for a profit, and the thing is, these items sold out everywhere so that means that people who want these items have nowhere else to buy them other than ebay and facebook and places like that you will sell your products there and you'll start making a profit so the link to download this app and sign up will be in the descriptions videos for people and you know if you want to go about this month making more money than you did last month then sign up or it's up to you you know you can sit there still be a dosser and still be the same you was last month or you can take action so just think about that, people. Think about that. So yeah, how come you didn't? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> how come you didn't like continue? Well, obviously, when you and your mate fell out and stuff like that, mm. why was you? Why did you not want to continue at that point? Like, why did you not think like, oh, what was the reason of like not yeah. continuing it? Like, I think he was like a year and a bit younger. Didn't want to leave uni. I yeah. was doing most of the work. This fucking legal dispute, kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I just wanted to. I just wanted freedom. I was like, I don't want to be at uni. I don't want to get yeah. a normal job. I never actually even thought about getting a normal job. Like yeah. it never crossed my mind. It just, even when I went to uni, I knew I, I wouldn't finish. And I, I guess, yeah, kind of summer 17 is when I escaped the matrix in many ways, <laughs> um, which is obviously a term that people seem to use now, but it's actually true. Yeah, 100%. Then started traveling, got into traveling for the first time, like summer 17, went to Europe by myself because yeah. no one would come with me. I didn't know anyone that, was doing shit online. So you just literally winged it on your own? Literally went to like Barcelona, Ibiza, Germany, Italy. There's loads of vlogs of this <laughs> on sick. my YouTube from really? when I was 21 at the time. Yeah, it's mad. I That's look very sick. Different. And yeah, I was literally just like hustling on, online. I was so gassed to just not be working a shit summer job yeah. like I was every year prior. Um, and then I guess it brings us to like end of summer, end of summer 17. So can I quickly stop yeah, you again? So long, yeah, long it? it's, a, it's a sick journey though, man. So when you was like hustling and stuff like during these times when you was traveling, what was you doing? Like what exactly was you actually doing? Yeah, yeah. So, so that clothing brand basically yep. dissolved. Like we just yeah. stopped running it. We sold the stock, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, well, I've got a bit of money, like not much, but I've learned the skill of like Facebook ads, etc. Yeah. And that's when I discovered drop shipping properly because I kind of dabbled in it with like the jeans stuff, but mm-hmm. ultimately we were still buying our own stock and that came more of like a custom brand. And it's funny because most people start getting into e-com through drop shipping. Yeah. Whereas I'd originally had like my own brand, granted it was fucking tiny and I sold yeah. like 200 quid, but I was making my own products and then, then I did, did the ripped jeans stuff, which was like semi drop shipping. 
But then I went back to the drawing board and was like, all right, all I want to do now is just make as much money as possible yeah. online and just be able to travel and figure out what's mm-hmm. next. And wasn't really thinking about much else. Um, so that's when I went back to the drawing board and got into a bunch of different dropshipping shit. I had a leggings website, similar no. to the wavy leggings yeah, stuff yeah. I'd done. Just dropshipping stuff from like AliExpress, yeah. like the, the classic, super simple e-com setup that people speak about now. But it was back when Facebook ads were yeah. super cheap, like no feedback scores. It was, just, yeah. it was a different world. It was way easier. So how did you even learn to do like dropshipping and stuff like that? Obviously you didn't like semi. Like how did you actually come to like, obviously because for people who don't know what dropshipping is, you don't really see the stock at all, do you? You just basically yeah. get shipped directly from China to your customers. Is that how, how you was operating it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the best way to start yeah. with no money basically. And you know, move super lean, super quick. All you have to do is set up a Shopify website and run ads effectively. Mm. And do it as well as you can, I guess. Um, so how does how does that Facebook work? Groups. Yeah. So that how does? Oh, wow, Facebook groups. Back in the day. Wow, that's Facebook like a, a bit like an OG Discord. Yeah. They were like, yeah, it was the OG Discord. Literally, I was in like so many cult econ groups. Mad. It's like a meme looking back. That's honestly, insane. It's how it works. Wow, it's it's mad how it's evolved from that now to like Discord and stuff like that. There's tons of like obviously like people are like offering like side hustles and stuff like that as like you know paid subscriptions yeah. and whatnot. But that, that's pretty mad how it actually come from like Facebook groups and like that. And I imagine all that information was free. You didn't really have to pay for anything like that. Didn't pay for anything, no. And not a lot of YouTube stuff. Yeah. Like you can learn most things on YouTube. Yeah, that like literally for people who like, you know, who who were committed to actually learning, you know, you just have to be like committed enough to actually learn, I suppose. You know, you just have to be like determined and just like, you know, go search around, research stuff like that. You know, that's how Jake over there learned how to do Amazon. You just literally, you get so determined at like, points that you can you can literally learn anything and it's like i learned coding myself literally just did not know i literally knew like the mm. very 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 basics and just over time over the fact of having a business just managed to literally just learn as much as possible and obviously it's a slower process but i yeah. suppose that's the best way to learn so when you was drop shipping and stuff like that was these like was the branded products or was they literally just like no label no nah, nothing she didn't give a shit it was like <laughs> I just i just want to sell stuff yeah and make a few grand a month in profit and that's what i was doing it was like pretty small scale at the time and then I guess things kind of changed. I went to some e-com event at the end of 2017. It was called like the e-commerce world summit yeah. in Singapore. So I got a one-way nice. ticket, economy ticket by myself to Singapore. And, and actually this is the most common question I ever get in DMs is, how do you meet people? I don't know anyone that's yeah. in e-com. I knew fucking no one that was remotely into entrepreneurship. So I was like, fuck this. I'm gonna go to this event that was literally from a Facebook group, like meeting internet friends. Yeah. It felt proper weird. But went to this event, paid a few hundred quid for the ticket, whatever. And basically met a bunch of guys that were kind of my age, younger, older, whatever, all doing yeah. e And I met this guy called Jordan, who's now one of my best mates. He was 18 at the time. I was 20, two, two years older, or, or 19 and 21. And he was doing like multi-six figures a month drop shipping. Mad. I was like, wow, there's like levels to this shit. Yeah. And yeah, I probably look back at that event. It's like the first time I met anyone that viewed the yeah. world the same way and wanted to live differently and do their own thing because like most people when you know you come from just wherever you're born you can't choose who yeah, you grow up with it's very hard to find people who are like you know like-minded and stuff like that and I've, that's something i've got really lucky with like i'm like will who's like a business partner man he literally lived next door to me and mm. he was like he was the first person to come to me like, obviously i was reselling with him and stuff like that but he was the first person to come to me with like a business idea and kind of like i always thought that i was gonna be like entrepreneurial before that but he like came to me with the real like actual seed that allowed me to like grow into like all this other stuff like yeah and it's like i've got very lucky and obviously 
nil Tom and stuff like that. Whereas for you, it's obviously a bit of a different story. And that's one thing that I would recommend to like, like anybody who wants to get into like entrepreneurship and stuff like that, and like making businesses, is finding other people who are like, you know, who want to make money, who want to start businesses, who are really aspirational and stuff like that. Because otherwise, you know, it's like there's a saying, you know, you are who you hang around with. If you hang around with like yeah. people who are wanting to make businesses, you know, you're all going to succeed. They're going to share your ideas and like, you know, their successes and stuff like that. And I imagine you probably learned quite a lot off the people you met at these events and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally think it's the single most important thing in life is who you hang around with. And it's like so cliche, but it's because it's so true. And I think I think you said it on the, on the last pod we did at the end, it's like the most important thing, or, or Brad said it. I think. Yeah. And yeah, that was kind of the start of the next step in like that traveling period, I suppose, because at the end of 2017, I met these guys, a bunch of Australians, ended up going to Bali and Thailand and a bunch of other places yeah. in America. Basically spent the whole of 2018 literally just in different countries every month. Yeah. And was they people who was like running business and stuff like that? Or was yeah, just like or just e-com dropshippers, all doing the same shit. Um, and then probably started to scale up in like 2018. I got to like half a million a month in revenue. It was probably making like 30 to 50 grand a month profit. Looking back, I probably, I should have probably fucking done something wise with that money. I just blew a lot of it on like cars and traveling. I can imagine. Stupid shit. But I don't regret any of that to be honest. Yeah. It was fucking legendary. It's easy to do when you're young and stuff like that. Like you yeah. often, I feel like you need to kind of need to get that period of like blowing money kind of out of your system. And then you kind of like, well, fuck, probably shouldn't have done that. But like, yeah, uh, you can't regret it, I suppose. But so go- going on from there, how much was you actually like making a month? Like how much was like your group of people? Like, you know, how much was you all like making a month just like traveling around and stuff like that? Like, because you're obviously yeah, from your laptop, your mobile. Jeez, I probably did like 3 million in revenue made like three to four hundred grand profit Fucking like that. but i probably didn't realize how impressive that was at the yeah. time because it, everyone around me was doing it and, and and that was that was the important thing it's like it, it became normal to kind mm-hmm. of live that way and have that freedom and this is when like i've got a twin brother who's the complete opposite to me he would have been finished un- finishing uni and so yeah. on and a lot of this is vlogged on my old youtube channel which yeah. i'm kind of glad i did because i look back yeah, at that now Fucking hell, there were some interesting times and then you pretty much spent the whole of 2018 doing that Start of 2019, trying to keep it chronological, um, yeah. I got a bit sick of like constantly traveling and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's when I moved to London with Fred, who is the most requested podcast guest on my <laughs> podcast, who runs Sanucci now, which is probably the biggest jewelry brand in the UK. Um, and another guy called Seb, who so I'd met. was these two like both traveling with you when you was? So these guys I actually met, I'd never met them when I moved in with them. Mm-hmm. I'd really? Met, I knew people that knew them, but then I kind of started to build this like e-com network yeah. of people all over the place, really. People I've met in Bali, Australia, all that sort of shit. Everyone I've met in like 2017, 2018. Moved to London in 2019. Um, I kind of skipping a little bit, but that's when I started Midnight City, the jewellery business. Yep. Um, that was actually like t- end of 2018. So and was then, that like your first serious like brand that you started? Yeah, so... It's funny because this is when, end of 2018 is probably when Facebook started to get, it just became a lot more competitive with yeah. dropshipping and like profits were drying up and I was like, all right, fuck, I made a bit of money here. But what I actually want to do long term is is build brands because yeah. like dropshipping is really a way to make money. It's not really a way yeah. to, it's not a long term thing. I, I don't think really you can have make like millions from it. I think you can make, I mean, some people have, I never did. Um, I think it's a way to make really good money while living a pretty nomadic like free life like I wasn't working like 12 hours a day it was more like laptop lifestyle literally like, didn't really care like that period was more about traveling learning things meeting people but and then I was like I want to build a brand that's a bit more long term so basically packed in the drop shipping kind of 20 it just didn't wasn't very profitable anymore to yeah. be honest. and I was like just wasn't that creatively interested in what I was doing and then 2019 started this brand 
like long story short, got it to like seven figures in the first year, profitable. Because I'd done stuff in the past as well. Yeah. It wasn't like my first venture. But I was never that into jewellery. It was more yeah. just like I see an opportunity in men's jewellery in the UK. And it was a great brand. Um, and then I guess 2020, I'm kind of skipping on a bit. Maybe we can come back to certain bits. Yeah, we'll come back. 2020 ended up running both Neon Beach. So I launched Neon Beach, which was the problem business, which I've fucking yeah. spoken about a lot on my pod. At the end of 2019, it's like a side project. And then, you know, long story short, 2020 was running both of them. Did like 12 million in revenue was on track to make like a few million in EBITDA and then the fucking end of the year basically ruined me. The fucking supplier went yeah. bankrupt and the rest is we'll, history. We'll get onto that as well. It was an absolute shitstorm. But 2020 was pretty mad because, yeah, like fucking living in a penthouse, I had a Ferrari and a Range Rover downstairs. Mad. And I was like, wait a minute, how the fuck have we got here? That's fucking mad. Just from I guess I was then humbled a bit from what went wrong, but we can get onto that. But yeah, like it was kind of mad. Like I guess 2017, 18, 19, 20 just felt like a constant, constant progression. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was, it kind, it was of kind of a mad period to be fair. Yeah. But so, it was, yeah, it was all self-made. Like, you know, I started with 50 quid. Mad. That's what I mean though. Like for people who think like, we was me and Jay was on about this the other day. It's like, you know, obviously people are in really bad situations, but like, you know, you can literally have like 50 quid, 100 quid, a couple of hundred pounds. And you can like, if you're determined enough and you're, you're committed enough, you know, you can realistically like turn your life like completely around. Like, you know I mean? You was literally living in a penthouse Ferrari. Range Rover. Granted, it fucking went a bit tits up, but you yeah. know, it's still like you you managed to like create fifty like from from that original starting point like you created so much and that's what I mean like you know, you can literally do anything if you put your mind to it like you if you determined enough to learn and determined enough to complete it then it you know, the world is yours for the taking really it's just up to you obviously it's really hard along the way and it depends how much like devotion you have but. It's, it's 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 an inspiring story to be honest. Like for, I'm sure a lot of people listening, a lot of people doing e-com and stuff like that, I'll probably like look up to you and think like you know, this is crazy. But I think we'll take it back to like um, the start of like the jewelry brand and stuff like that. So why did you decide to like start a jewelry brand? And obviously you was living with Fred at the time. Was it just before I met him? Actually. Oh, okay, so okay, okay, okay. Would have been like end of 2018. Um, yeah, honestly, it's weird thinking back because you have a different perspective like three years on. Why did I start that? I think it felt like an easy way into building a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my mind, the difference between a brand and like drop shipping and like stores and shit is a brand has potential longevity, something that yeah. can be an asset to sell. It's something that has generally better customer yeah. service that you're actually, you know, you're making bespoke products, all this sort of stuff. Whereas drop shipping, at the end of the day, you know, anyone can steal your product. It's not, you don't own the IP. Yeah. Granted, you can make kind of quick money when it works, but there's no longevity there. Like it's not really something you'd be necessarily like proud to share 100%. with like fucking friends and shit. It's not like cool. It's more just like, which is why I like dropshippers and I always say the piss now on like Twitter, like they'll never reveal their store because they're scared <laughs> that a competitor will rip it off. Yeah. So yeah, jewelry, I was just like, I built up knowledge of like supply chain and so on. And I was like, well, I want something with a high margin. You know, there's a gap in the market. It's not that expensive to put money into stock because the margin was like 95% on the product. Wow. That's insane um, to be fair. And this was probably just around the time that Crafted London launched through another massive brand now. Obviously, yeah, I viewed them as a competitor at the time. They ended up going way beyond where I did because I ended up focusing on the neon yeah. stuff. But yeah, I was never that into it really. I just wanted to do something I thought was quite cool and had an obvious market and yeah. it just worked. And I was running all my own ads at the time, same as I had been prior to that, like drop shipping. I'd spent yeah. millions on ads and built up knowledge on like, I guess every part of the e-com sphere so did you have any employees when you was like running midnight city like one or two VAs so virtual assistants yeah like, okay there was no so like office doing or 
Mad. Yeah. How come you didn't want to like go towards that kind of route? Was you just did you just feel like there's no like need for it and you're just trying to keep it lean? Honestly, it's weird. I think I wanted to keep it lean, but then when I started living with Fred and he was running Sanucci, I probably thought, fuck, I can't be running, I can't be competing against that's, my own that's, flatmate. That's what I was thinking, like, you know, and obviously. I was way less, I always was kind of thinking, what am I going to do next? I, this works, this is good. I'm not, he was way more passionate about jewellery and obviously, like I said, now he's fucking insane levels. Yeah, Particularly his age. Um, he needs to come on the pod and tell his story, but <laughs> yeah, so I think that kind of, probably subconsciously put me off like focusing on it because I didn't mm-hmm. want to compete against my own flatmate which is probably like part of the story I never really told um, even though he was doing like hip hop stuff whereas I was yeah. doing more like but still, basic chains like this this sort of shit yeah 100% like still though at some point it becomes you know one person dabbles into like your style and then you know before you know it, it can get a bit sour and that's one thing that happens with business you know it's a very like yeah. It's, it's become a sour game and obviously like you know it, it, it can break friendships up like very easily like there's, there's no like line yeah. in that but did it ever did, was there ever any kind of like animosity between you about it maybe a little bit now and then but like I said like, I just knew my heart wasn't in I, I didn't want to be yeah. in, I didn't want to be in fashion broadly long yeah. term I just never cared that much about it mm-hmm. like and it was profitable it was really profitable particularly in like 2019 20 um which that's the period I was running, I guess. But yeah, I just always thought like, you know, I'll figure out the next thing. And, and that's when I stumbled on the whole neon thing, mm-hmm. which I was so, way more excited about. Yeah. And how did you even stumble across that? Well, I got a sign made for my own bedroom yeah. from China, an LED sign. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a classic case. I think it's like textbook, just entrepreneurship, yeah. to be honest. Like it didn't exist, so I made it. Literally. And then I, I fucking filmed an ad in my... It's kind of legendary, to be honest. Like, <laughs> people need to go and watch the original pod. And, like, I, I still think it's legendary. Like, like, it's probably the fastest growing, like, e-com thing I've ever come across. Yeah. And a lot of people said that to me. And, yeah, it was a classic case of right product, right time. You know, COVID happened. Yeah. So was it during, home. like, did it start just before COVID? Yeah, so I started in December 19. Um, oh. Yeah. And it was blowing up in, like, month two. It was crazy. In, like, wow. month one, even. Yeah. And then, like, March onwards with lockdown and so on. Yeah, the perfect product, really. Yeah. And I just filmed all the ads in my flat, in my bedroom. And just chucking them on Facebook ads and, and stuff like that. And I just did the website myself, did all the branding myself. At the time, I was running the ads myself, ended up outsourcing that. But, yeah, it was like classic, like, yeah. Chad scale, zero to one. It's fucking huge, very Couldn't quickly. easily destroy very fast, though. So, when you actually started that, like, how did it, what was, like, the setup? So, was you just, like, selling, like, pre-made signs? Was it, like, custom-made? What was, yeah, like... Yeah, so both. It's a horribly complicated business model. Yeah. Most people buy bespoke stuff. So mm-hmm. by default, people say, oh, it's a dropshipping store. I mean, yes, kind of, because it's made to order. But like we had our own factory in China, like the volume was ridiculous. Like I think we sold like 50,000 signs in a year. And you're talking like 300 pound each. It's like 250, 300 yeah. pound each. So a lot of money going through that website. Mm. And yeah, I ended up having a fucking army of VAs in the Philippines. I literally had 45 people at one point. Like what was they doing? Designers mainly, yeah. customer service. Like, it, it was actually mad thinking back how big that operation was. And it was just me in a fucking kitchen. And, and I was also <laughs> running the jewellery business as well, yeah. which was also doing record numbers during COVID. Because I think for like every brand yeah, during literally. COVID, it just fucking boomed, particularly March, April, May. 100%. It was literally 2020. rocket. Yeah. And I just thought, fucking hell, this is a lot to handle. And yeah, in hindsight, it was pretty mad scale without without necessarily the best foundations. Because, you know, I, I was the only shareholder. I was self-funded. Like I'm very good at zero to one and kind of the front end of stuff, but 
obviously I had an accountant and stuff, but I didn't have like no one with any real experience. Yeah. Because like there's businesses with a hundred employees doing less revenue than that. Hundred percent, literally. Like, Whereas it was And if reselling isn't for you, but you want to find another side hustle, we are launching a website very soon. We'll do exactly this. You will put in everything about yourself. Probably not everything, but uh, you're putting you're putting things about yourself, and we will recommend a verified, legitimate side hustle for you. So there's no fucking dodgy scams going on, and you can sign up to a legit side hustle, and you can start making money. It's going to be dropping very soon, and it's going to be under the side hustle brand. For me and Fred sat over there running his thing, doing like pretty much the same scale. Um, yeah, it's quite mad to look back, really. So how come you was like going that VA route? Was you not thinking like, would you just like, how come you didn't think like, oh, like I'm gonna get like, you know, obviously like an office and stuff like that, or like get, even get like people like from well, the UK. Well, nearly did that, but yeah. it was COVID as well, bear in mind. So mm. where would you get an office? I know, no yeah. one's offices. Yeah, literally. Um, and then, yeah, like I always kind of wanted the freedom to never be tied down by an office. Although now my views potentially change on that, but mm -hmm. yeah, it was just like keeping it lean, really, and it and it worked. Yeah. when it worked until things went very wrong but so yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so we'll obviously get onto that so you know what was the margins and stuff like on the neon signs not like great yeah. it was like 50% product margin mm. but because you're selling it for 300 quid it might cost you 150 CPA is yeah. 100 quid minus overheads it's probably making like 10% net profit yeah. but you're doing a million a month so fucking insane yeah it was big volume very yeah. quick um, what would you what was your CPA like during COVID and stuff like that probably sub 100 quid, so I'm 300 pound sign. Mm -hmm. It worked very well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously like massively scalable because the AOV was so big. I was probably the only brand running ads in that space at that yeah. time on Instagram. Like loads of competitors came in, most yeah, of which yeah. were stealing my content and so on. So my bedroom <laughs> was on every fucking website. Fucking probably had like hell. 30 million views of me speaking <laughs> over this neon sign, like literally. Um, and yeah, it was a chaotic time really. It yeah. just grew so quick. So uh, like, what was the scale like? What was like the growth like? So was it just your like constant month on month growth or did it kind of like? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I remember I launched it in the first month, did like a hundred grand, got to a million a month by like month five and then kind of went towards Q4. And then, I mean, I get, I've told this story a few times now, but like long story short, ended up having, so like ITV had approached me to do a deal with Love Island. So yeah. I did this deal with like Love so Island USA, like, had all this primetime TV ads and shit. It was fucked. I didn't know what I was getting into. Like, <laughs> Universal Music wanted to do loads of tour merch for fucking Billie Eilish and shit. I was like, what the fuck's going on? Like, what? There was just a, it was getting a lot of eyeballs. Had like half a million Instagram followers purely from ads in like the first six months. It was just very, very quick growth. And then I moved all the, again, very long story short, moved all the production from China to the UK, ironically mm -hmm. thinking that that would make everything better. Mm -hmm. But that was the worst decision I ever made. What was the thinking behind it? Better margins, you know, made in the UK, because everyone, all our competitors yeah. make it in China, but for good reason in hindsight. Um, and just, yeah, quicker shipping, all that sort of stuff. I, I just want, I was trying to take it to that next level, from yeah. being like a bedroom brand, to thinking like, how can I make this like the next fucking made.com and reach that sort yeah. of scale? Because I also had like private equity funds were emailing me, like, we really like the brand, want to invest, Mad. all this sort of shit. I was seeing fucking dollar signs. Oh, mate, yeah. I bet you was fucking gassing. Um, but yeah, I ended up bringing all the production to the UK, long story short, paid the supplier, like a B2B supplier that had effectively gone out of business because of COVID. They bit off more than they could chew, paid them loads Shit. of money up front, loads of signs, you know, never got delivered and all came crashing down on me. And, and they like just went like two and a half million quid's worth of orders disappeared, basically. Fucking hell. And someone's got to pay for that. So they did they go, did the company, like the factory company go bust? Effectively, yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of that's basically what happened and the rest is history. I bet you were mega stressed during that period. Yeah, I mean, 
yeah, I, I think it was definitely worse than I made out on the first podcast because pff, even now I reckon I got PTSD from that. Like, yeah. You know, to summarise, the business went from making seven figures profit to like being insolvent, me having to fucking speak to lawyers about who the fuck was going to pay for all this shit. You know, doing meetings with bailout funds. Fucking I was literally hell. googling how do I save my business. Like, I've never <laughs> been there before, and people people think that shit can't happen, but yeah, it can at that scale. And when like you know the straw that broke the camel's back, I guess was all that scale. But then you know fundamentally a bad decision, and it came crashing down yeah. very quick. But it, it was it was the business side that was stressful enough. Yeah. But the probably more stressful part was the social media onslaught that I got, which I'd never experienced because I, I never even put content out, but. You know, you can imagine how it looks. Like, there's a yeah. picture of me with a fucking Ferrari. It gets put into his Facebook group. And, yeah, there's a lot of things I would like to say to the people that made those Facebook groups in hindsight, but I'll be the What, and people made Facebook groups about... With, with, like, pictures of my parents in and shit. What, and they made, like, Facebook it groups? Was like, what? The whole narrative was, I'm this multi-millionaire scam artist. And I can see how it looks like that to the average, yeah, like, civilian. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. doesn't know anything about anything. Yeah. But it was quite literally the opposite of what was actually happening. What was actually happening was I was doing my best to save a business and, you know, do right by customers. But when two and a half million quid disappears, it's quite hard to do that. Yeah, literally. self-funded in a bedroom. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I was some big corporate that had 500 employees and 20 years experience. And, yeah, it was fucking rough. And then, yeah, ultimately ended up getting bailed out by this fund back in, like, March 2021. Which was the right thing to do. Like I could have shut my laptop and fucked off, but I probably wouldn't be alive right now. Literally, if that happened. Probably yeah. Got put in a van and disappeared. Oh, you'd have been like your name. Not that your name would have been crushed, but like you know everything you did in the future, people would have been like that. You'd have this thing like looming over you, kind of thing. Yeah. So ultimately, I'm very proud of how I dealt with that because yeah. I actually think, and like this is not exaggerating. I think other than like terminal illness or whatever, I don't think that period could have been any worse for a 24 year old like entrepreneur. <laughs> I can imagine. Like I was genuinely suicidal for about six months. You, like, I, I reckon yeah. I was so close to just topping myself. Fucking hell. That's how bad it was. And like, it's kind of easy to look back now, but it was probably worse than I'm even describing, to be honest. <laughs> that is insane. So I just think now nothing can really stress me. Yeah, I suppose now, like, you're fucking, like, almost invincible. Like, well, not almost invincible, yeah, but like, well, you know, I suppose that's kind of like the thing. I feel that way in comparison, yeah. Literally. So how did it, it even all, like, get cleared up? So obviously, like, this... Bay, like the bailout fund came did you like approach them did they approach you no they approached me um yeah like crash course in like how this sort of shit works i guess for people yeah so for people who in the similar situation yeah i mean ultimately obviously suppose my accountant we knew the business was insolvent which means you fucking owe more than you've got yeah. because fucking two and a half million quid disappeared yeah. basically um the balance sheet very quickly looks very unhealthy <laughs> And then you, you can either try and work out of it, trade out of it, but that's not going to happen when the public sentiment of the business is that fucked because yeah. basically no one would buy from it anymore. I can imagine. Because 7,000 Trustpilot reviews sent, I'm a scammer. It's all this, it was, the scale was crazy. Um, and yeah, How many orders were, like, were not fulfilled? About 8,000 maybe. But we're talking 8,000 orders that are 300 quid each. It's Mate. not like a 20 pound Amazon order. Yeah. So you can People imagine the charge fuming. Backs. Yeah. We're talking like 1,000 emails a day. And ITV? The this yeah, okay. yeah. Oh so it, it all got very complicated. Like I had report Daily Mail at my door. Well, lit- that's how bad it got. Wow. Yeah. How did they even like get? Uh, bear in mind, like, they're all, all going over. with the narrative. This is some scam artist living in a penthouse, and oh. I'm there. Like, it literally couldn't be further from the truth. But I don't know who to speak to, what to say. I've never dealt with this before. Yeah, absolutely um, insane. 
So what did this company do? Did they just buy like the whole of they Neon Beach? They buy the balance sheet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, long story short, all the customers get their money back. I lost the vast majority of equity in the business. Ended up working with them for six months, and then sold the rest of my shares. And actually came out of it pretty well in the end. But mm. but they also ended up buying my jewelry business. Oh wow! The way I'd structured it is that I'd structured both brands under the same limited company, which is mistake fucking number yeah. one. But that was a good business, so ended up coming out pretty well of that anyway. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to move on from that anyway. Prior to all the shit with Neon Beach, I wanted to sell that. Yeah, and I can imagine. Ended up kind of making sense to just do this deal, and yeah, being pragmatic about it, it ended up pretty well. But what did you at, what at the time? What was like, the deal in the end? If you want to talk about, it, I understand if you don't. Well, I just got a bunch of money out of it, basically. Yeah, it wasn't millions, but it was like six figures. So so it's not too bad. It was bad. fine. Um, it was the best of a shit situation, basically. Yeah. But you know, a year prior, I probably thought I'd be sat on twenty mil by now. By, by then like, it's literally like like literally you're almost like in heaven and then you're just fucking falling off the edge of the world mate yeah, yeah. <laughs> insane crazy. story mate honestly it's, it's crazy how that even happened and I can imagine like the stress and stuff like that was next level so what was your thoughts after Neon Beach like after after all the shit was you a bit like was you thinking about like going into business again well obviously you did but like was yeah. the thoughts of not doing that after like the fucking well I basically worked with these guys for six months to kind of fix everything mm-hmm. which was fucking weird because it was effectively an employee of my own business but that, that was the deal to be done basically and um, that was like summer 21 um, I was in a bad place I'd like put on loads of weight and shit I was living with my ex-girlfriend at the time which was not a good setup um <laughs> And then, yeah, but basically got offered at the end, I can either get a bunch of equity in this group and, you know, big fat salary. Like, anyone would bite their hand off. They're offering me, like, 150 grand salary, yeah. equity, all this shit. But for me, it was like, fucking hell, that was like a pay cut. And I, I didn't want to be doing that shit anyway because yeah. I'd only ever wanted to do my own thing. Like, I'd rather die than yeah. work for anyone else, like, genuinely. And, yeah, I basically made the decision to move on, go back to the drawing board. But I was obviously going back to the drawing board with a shitload of experience, a great network, and, like, money. So. Yeah. I was confident in, in doing the next thing, but that's when I started working on, on the brand I'm now building, which is, yeah, that that came out from scratch. And that's also when I started the pod last September, so like bang on a year ago, pretty yeah. much. And yeah, that whole story came to light. And then I spent the last year, I guess, building back from that, working, building up to the new business, launching the new business like five months ago. And now, yeah, now, now I'm fucking deep in the trenches again on the new thing. <laughs> yeah, literally, I suppose... Yeah, I was literally listening to your update the other day and I was like, and, and that's what it's like though, it becomes like an incredible grind, at, you know, at the end. When on Neon Beat, I suppose obviously it grew massively, so you probably didn't experience that kind of like grinding phase where, but did you, have you have you experienced that kind of like in the trenches? Obviously, I mean, I feel like it's always grinding, even if yeah. the numbers are big or not. Um, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think the one thing a lot of people miss in all of this is, you know, obviously prior to anything going wrong and me sharing my story and so on is, even before that when things were going smoothly is that there's always constant shit yeah, not 100%. to that extent but you know even when I was fucking being a bit of a posy cunt like posting my R8 and so on on Instagram and I don't know I would assume people that I used to go to school with thought I was a bit of a bellend <laughs> I was still probably working twice as much as they were Yeah. working on Saturdays and Sundays you know like obviously people share the highlights that's just the nature yeah, of Instagram everyone's guilty of it but yeah I just think people that aren't in the game of entrepreneurship don't realize it, it is all consuming and it's probably made me bipolar to be honest because the highs are very high and the lows are cripplingly low and yeah 
and I think depending on how you know quick you want to move and what you want to achieve, the highs and lows are probably different levels. Like you know maybe if you run a fucking little marketing agency, not not to be, not say that's not yeah. good, but like, I know a lot of people probably have run less stressful businesses and, yeah, and they do that because that's what they want to do. But I've always wanted to try and go as big as possible and, and do cool yeah. shit. Um, and I think for I'm those still swinging, I suppose. Yeah, and I think for those people who like wanna, you know, make a big business and stuff like that. Like one thing we were discussing the other day was it's like you know you say like escape the nine five, but then if mm. you start your own business, you end up working fucking way more than nine five. Like oh, yeah, you know, of it's like that's just like the nature of it, you know. But I suppose it's just part of the game. If you want that, if you want that kind of like you know, if it was easy, then everyone would do it. If you want that kind of like. If you want them things out of life, then I suppose that's the price you have to pay. That you have to be that devoted to making an incredible brand and stuff like that. So before you started Space Goods, was you thinking about starting anything else? Like, was there any other ideas on the table? Yeah, I mean, I've probably always had, I, I, I literally had a Google Drive folder of like brand ideas. Mm-hmm. And my problem was, I, I, if I could look back, I mean, I wouldn't change it because that's just my character. But like when I was younger, I, I never stuck with one thing long enough, mm-hmm. which which is very important. Which I know, again, people like Fred who has only ever done one thing, and for him that's paid off very well. Um, my character was always, I was trying loads of different things. I think I think now I've probably found the stuff I'm more interested in sticking on, but it's taken me like six years to yeah. fucking get there, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I was always thinking about the next thing. Um, I didn't know it would be mushrooms and, and the <laughs> stuff I'm working on now. But I think another thing people kind of maybe gloss over, because they think of, particularly the culture now, is like, if you're a young on, firstly, people assume that everyone that's in entrepreneurship is a millionaire. Like, do you know what I mean? This whole like, general narrative yeah. of, oh, he's an entrepreneur, he must be a millionaire. Absolute bollocks. Most people are fucking hustling and Literally. it takes years and years and years to make any decent money. Certainly did for me. Um, but also, I think people from the outside looking in forget the actual amount of skills that are required to start an econ brand. Like, there's yeah. so many things. And like, no one knows anything until you start, right? So, like, when I started, I knew fuck all nothing. Then I built up a skill set and, you know, learned more things and more things and yeah. more things. Up to the point where now, when I was starting this brand, it felt like playing a game almost. It was, like, easy. Or it felt easy. And, like... Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it was, like, obviously I was going to do the next thing because... And I, th- I, th- I think this is a much better brand than stuff I've done in the past, but it's because yeah. I've done loads of stuff in the past and, you know, had ups, downs, failures, in-betweens and learned from each of them and applied it to the next thing. Like, I think that's better than any fucking Harvard Business School MBA. Literally, that's what um, I mean. Certainly the business going wrong, I think was probably better than any MBA. 100%, something so. massively learned that you were like, you'll never be able to learn that like as as much as you've learned it ever. Like ever, most, a lot of entrepreneurs won't. Like, you know, out of like everyone you know is an entrepreneur, have any of them been through as bad as the time as like what happened with Neon Beach? No, I mean, I, I actually think I'd be surprised if that wasn't like technically the worst like business yeah. problem for someone of my age like in the country. Like it's got to be up there with like pretty historic fuck ups. <laughs> but it's also a good story, and I'll never be short of stories, I suppose. Um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, so. I suppose it's a gr- it's a great thing, like you said. You know, <laughs> like you probably wouldn't change it. Would you change it if you if you had a chance? I mean, a bit of me probably thinks I would, but it's like anything you look back and probably realize it was very valuable and it certainly made me wiser in many many ways yeah and probably you know a bit less of a slightly arrogant young person <laughs> who thought i kind yeah. of was an in- invincible i suppose at that point though when you make when you when it's growing that fast you know it, it's in it's in you know 
it's never supposed to think that way realistically, especially when you've just like, like you said, it was just like eight, like 17, 18, 19, constant growth. And then you get to Neon Beach and that, and it just blows, it keeps going and going. It's just like straight up graph really. Mm. But like, how do you think that like, cause obviously when you started Neon Beach and stuff like that, before we get into space goods and stuff, how do you think like COVID has like changed? Like, cause obviously you started Neon Beach during COVID. What do you think's like changed between like now and COVID in terms of growing brands and things like that? I think it's way harder now. I think 2020, that, that period probably made, gave a lot of people false hope that they were better at e-com than they thought they were. Yeah. Because particularly like dropshippers and so on. Because it was just, yeah, more people were spending money online, ads were cheaper. I mean, I'm sure there's some exceptions in certain areas, but yeah, yeah 2020 was crazy. I, I think it definitely is harder now, but I think that's good because it means that you've got to be better to, 100%. to grow. You've got to be better to be in the game. And I think it filters out a lot of, like I said, people that maybe, you know, like there's a lot of like TikTok dropshippers on like Twitter and so on, like 18, 19, 20 year olds. There's a few I'm thinking of that I'm not going to name. <laughs> but I don't know, they think they're like these old hands and like really experienced like top businessmen. It's like, no, you've been dropshipping for three months and you, <laughs> you hit a winner on one ad. Yeah. Like that's not experience. Like Literally. But I mean, there's obviously a lot of people that are young and crushing it as well, but I just think, yeah, 2020, I mean, even myself, like back in 2017, 18, like that was probably like golden years in terms of like easy money online. Yeah. Not easy, but like it felt a lot easier then. Whereas now, I think you really have to know what you're doing to, to last at least. And I think for businesses that have like started between like started in COVID, especially for like our business and stuff like that, I feel like, you know, what you said then, it's almost not like false hope, but like, you know, in COVID, it was just like, like you said, there's probably exceptions, but like the way the market worked in COVID was totally different. Like it is yeah. literally like, it was it was almost too easy. Like, mm. you know, even for our business, it just literally like, even when COVID started, it was a bit like, hmm, how's this gonna go? And then like a month in, skyrocketed, just like, literally yeah. just like took off. Like, and it's like, and then at that point you're like, oh, well obviously I've done it and stuff like that. Like I can do it again. But like the times have changed. That was like such a crazy period for Thingy. But I think it's good because I think, you know, it should give you self-belief, you know, in yourself. Like, you know, it kind of just, like, probably exponent, like, I can't think of the word, but, like, increased your growth rate. Exponential. Yeah, exponential, that's what I was looking yeah, for. Yeah. It kind of, like, like, increased your growth rate, but, you know, it was a mad time, and I think for people who, you know, like, have been through that then, you know, now is, like, now is a much harder time, and I imagine, you know, you've probably seen that as well, and I know we've definitely seen it, that it's become a bit harder and stuff like that, especially with, like, ads and stuff like that, but... I suppose, like you said, it just makes you better in the long run and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. So coming on starting Space Goods, obviously, did you have any like brands that you was actually like cl like close to starting other than Space Goods? Not really. So I nearly I nearly went into the fucking teeth whitening space briefly wow. back in October. Then I literally <laughs> was like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't give a shit about this. Why, well, what was the reason? Because you didn't give a shit? Yeah, literally. It was like I wanted to quickly get into something, but then I went back to the drawing board. I was like, wait, hold on. Don't rush this shit. But it was the first time ever that I actually sat with like a blank sheet of paper, like quite literally, and was like, what what do I want to do here? Because in the past I'd always jumped into stuff. Like I said, I wasn't that interested in jewellery, just sort of started it and it worked. The neon sign thing was kind of like a side thing yeah. that blew up. And then I was like, fuck it, right. I want to do something now that's the last brand I ever build that, you know, can actually reach the heights that I've always wanted to reach, you know, build a fucking hundred million pound revenue business, whatever. And then I sat down and was like, well, okay, so based on my experience, what criteria does it need to hit? And I was like, well, I want a high margin, which it does have. 
supplements have in general. I want something that's consumable so we can be a subscription product, which I've never done, but I always mm-hmm. thought that'd be cool because in the past I've never done that. I want something that doesn't feel saturated yet, but there are signs of brands in other countries like America that are crushing it but haven't brought it over here yet. Mm-hmm. And like these are all things that I wouldn't have thought about when I was a bit younger because I was less experienced, but then I was like, you know, based on what I'd done, I just, yeah, this in, intuitively felt like the things I needed to focus on. And then within that, I was like, I started just playing around, literally researching brands. I'd have spreadsheets and spreadsheets of stuff I'd seen that was cool. And just, yeah, it's a grind really. And I was like, where do I instinctively want to go with this? And then I'd always been interested in like mushrooms and like the research around, like, I guess magic mushrooms, but also just like therapeutic mushrooms. Yeah. I don't know that's the fucking term. Adaptogenic mushrooms, like lion's yeah. mane and so on. Very different things, obviously, because one's a psychedelic, one, one, one isn't. Um, and then I was like, fucking hell, wait a minute. There's a lot of research going on around like, you know, psychedelics and like, again, mushrooms broadly, magic and non-magic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, there's certain brands that I've seen that I bought their products and I tried them all. I was like, they all look the fucking same. They're all brown packaging. There's, there's not that many in the UK yeah. anyway. There's a few brands I'm thinking of, but then in America, there's quite a few crushing it, but they're all, like I say, like brown packaging. Yeah. Very granola is what I would say, like mm-hmm. aesthetically. So I was like, all right, cool. Uh, broadly speaking, I want to go into mushrooms. But then I want to build the first product. I want, I want to start with one SKU as well. So one product only. Because yeah. in the past, I'd complicate things way too quick. So then I started working on Rainbow Dust, which I still think is a fucking sick product. To be mate, honest. It's, it's, the I brand it's cool. is amazing, mate. Yeah. Like, literally, it's I cash. think I did a good job with that, to be fair. Um, but I was like, I don't like taking tablets because most of the brands sell this shit, like yeah. brands made in capsules or whatever. I wanted to put an all-in-one blend. You know, I've been inspired by like Huel and Athletic Greens, which I, I've been customers of for ages anyway. Yeah. And I, yeah, just kind of took bits from what I liked in other brands, didn't like in other brands, came up with this ingredient profile, just, and I knew knew nothing about fucking supplements, like nine months ago, I just started researching heavily and kind of became (laughs) self-proclaimed, certainly not an expert, but like, learned a lot, found a supplier, obviously like a lab that I work with, and I wanted to work with someone in the UK rather than China, which I've typically done, because I was very conscious of, don't want to fucking poison customers, it doesn't feel quite right, just going straight to China for this shit. It would just like be a mistranslation and poison a thousand people. That'd be fucked up. So yeah, I found this really good supplier, which that in itself took a few months, to be honest. Um, It's been working with them since November. Long story short, yeah, ended up creating Rainbow Dust, which is the first product. Um, And yeah, fucking launched it in April. Um, And and the one thing I did do differently this time around as well was I got a few angel investors involved. Mm Mm-hmm. Why was, was that? Yeah, a lot of people asked me that. That was less about the money and more about, it felt like a win-win to have experienced people mm-hmm. on my side, obviously also get money from them. But mm-hmm. I could have started the business myself without in- investors' money or anything. It wasn't, that wasn't the primary reason. It was really just, yeah, like I'd rather have a slightly smaller stake in something yeah. that is backed by, and like, you know, one of my investors has sold a business for like close to 100 million quid another one has sold a business called Content Cow to Adobe for nine figures like Mad. they're all like legit guys I'm not yeah. talking like drop shippers that made a bit of money like guys have been in the game like 10 years plus and a few of my mates as well including Fred and Ollie that I mentioned at the start um, and yeah it just felt like I was assembling kind of like a, a fucking SWAT team or something yeah. I mean, they're not that involved in the business most of them but one or two of them are and having that accountability as well because I, so. I know that I, I can sometimes get swayed by ideas and so on and I wanted to make myself more accountable yeah. by having other people's money and other people's vested interests yeah, in, in the business 
So yeah, like raising money, that was the first time going down that route. I mean, like I said, for, for me, it was pretty easy because all of my mates and I'd built up that network over the years. Yeah. And, and even through the pod, two of them I met through the podcast. Yeah. And that's like the interesting value in that is that they've turned into investors and you know, long term that could have like yeah. massive ROI. So that's how I was, that's what I was gonna ask you. Like, how do you even go about like, so there's probably people out there thinking like, you know, how like the classic way I imagine to get a VC or something like that is like you know is to just go pitch them something and then they kind of say oh well I want to invest or oh, you know I don't want to invest so how did that come about was the was the two main investors through the part yeah I mean so generally like two types of investors in startups there's angels and then there's like institutional money which is yeah. like VCs or PE funds which yeah, yeah. is a completely different kettle of fish like angels are just high net worth people yeah not okay. necessarily high net worth but usually because yeah. they can give any money um, and for me I just I knew a lot of them I didn't want to get any fund involved I mean, it's also way harder to do that yeah. you typically wouldn't do that at like pre-revenue stage anyway um, but yeah I, I guess for me like my the pitch was it's me doing it yeah. I've done stuff in the past and if you know if I was some 19 year old who'd never built anything going to raise money unless it's like your parents giving you money, which certainly for me it never was because I don't have any money. Um, like, oh, you know, it'd be very hard to do that. Like people message me all the time, like how do you raise money? I'm like, yeah, I want to I wanna start a business. Yeah. I think go and fucking start a dropshipping store and prove that you can hustle and do stuff yeah. first. Whereas, yeah, for me, I'd, I'd done it in the past. I clearly demonstrated and I, I know how to scale stuff, particularly like zero to a few million. I've done that a few times in different industries. So I think I was very backable. Um, and I also think, the brand was was a right place, right time sort of product and industry. And yeah, yeah spent like five months working on it. It takes fucking ages to build this kind of product, which is a... So what actually goes thing. into that? Huh? Like what actually goes into building? Well, first thing we should probably talk about like what Rainbow Dust is. Like what actually is it? What yeah, kind so of concoction? my initial, this is like the complicated part about, and I get into why it's complicated, like Instagram bands and so on, all relevant to this. Mm -hmm. So my long-term view is I would like to build a consumer psychedelics brand, right? Mm -hmm. So like similar to how CBD yeah. used to be fucking, cannabis was just losers in a mum's basement. It's yeah. now middle-aged women in a range rover driving <laughs> to a private school, dropping CBD, yeah, yeah, like yeah. trip drinks and you know, brands like that. I, I'm not into CBD, like it's comparable market, but it's different, yeah. but it's similar in the sense that it's kind of developed massively in, in like the past 20 years. Psychedelics, however, obviously they're still illegal. So psychedelics mm -hmm. being shit like psilocybin, LSD, magic mushrooms. Um, which I've yeah enjoyed myself recreationally in the past, but I'm I'm more interested in you know the microdosing effects. Yeah, I've microdosed myself and so on, and you know all the research going on around the mental health benefit. Like, mental health's probably been the biggest challenge in my life to be honest. So that maybe there's an element of it that I kind of feel a, a kind of mission driven part to the brand. Yeah, but this is like the bigger picture. Obviously, the problem is. You can't sell psychedelics on the internet. Yeah. I can't sell fucking psilocybin rainbow dust because I'd end up in prison. <laughs> um, so my concept initially was, I know that market's coming or I believe it's coming. Yeah. It may, may never come. I mean, in parts of Canada, it's legal. Parts of America now, it's very much illegal. The vast majority of Europe yeah. couldn't build a DC brand selling that shit. So the concept for rainbow dust was I wanted it to be a legal imitation of a psychedelic microdose which essentially just means a bunch of ingredients that, in my opinion, as a consumer, feel similar to taking a psychedelic microdose, yeah. which three primary things, in my opinion, were focus, energy, and calm, and that's kind of how I packaged up the products and kind of put it out. Like, that was the marketing angle, really, initially. So the whole website referenced that at the start. 
But then I found that I can't run ads to anything talking about microdosing, psychedelics, and so that's the first okay. Instagram yeah. ban because of that. So I basically had to, in the first month, completely tweak the angle and not speak about any of that. Yeah. Which was frustrating because that felt like like the grander mission of the business. I didn't just want to be a supplement brand. Yeah. But ultimately, that's what you have to be at, at this stage. I can only sell stuff that's legal. So now I've kind of pivoted to a slightly more vanilla angle, which ultimately it's it's a coffee replacement. Yeah. But and, and it is, and, and it does work for that, and that's what all the other brands are pushing, particularly in America. But the more exciting thing, which is you know how I think, probably arrogantly or not, this could be like a unicorn business long term, like a billion pound plus is if and when psychedelics are widely legalized. Because that's what I want to build, is a consumer psychedelic yeah. business. Because you see all the Netflix documentaries, like How to Change Your Mind. Literally. There's a bunch of others. You've probably seen some of them. If you haven't, go watch them. And it's just fucking interesting. I just yeah. honestly believe that's going to be the biggest change in like wellness globally yeah. over like the next 10 years. But if that never happens, it's still a very viable business mm-hmm. because we're ultimately just a wellness brand selling you know, all natural adaptogenic products. And that's what all our competitors are doing because like I say, you can't sell yeah. psychedelics. But I guess my aesthetic of the brand and how it looks and sounds is kind of indicative of like psychedelics, like obviously 100%. pink, purple, yeah. rainbow dust. Like people probably think it's illegal, which is yeah. kind of intentional. I want it to be controversial, spark interest. Yeah, it's good. Obviously in comparison to other products that are like mushroom powder, brown fucking yeah. packaging. So what's actually in it? Like what's actually in like rainbow dust? Like so, three different types of mushrooms: lion's mane mushroom, chaga mm-hmm. mushroom, cordyceps mushroom. It's got ashwagandha in it, um, maca root. I'm gonna forget some of the fucking ingredients <laughs> now. It's got a bit of coffee in it, which everyone gets controversial yeah, yeah. about. So like, oh, it's meant to be caffeine free. It's not meant to be caffeine free. I, you know, I just like feeling caffeinated. It's got a vitamin B and, and rhodiola reserve. So it's a bunch of like strong adaptogenic ingredients. Which to be honest, I again, I knew not much about all this shit yeah. before I started doing it. Um, but I, I was taking some of these supplements like separately, like stacking them, so just read online, like particularly yeah. Lion's Mane for focus. All so sorts of yeah, stuff. I've heard a little bit about Lion's Mane. Put it all in one. Yeah. Basically. So what does Lion's Mane actually do? I think I've. Does it increase like neuroplasticity? I was that like. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna sound like an idiot because I'm like no, not no. a fucking scientist, <laughs> but yeah, basically stuff like that. I, yeah. I, I actually need to get like a science person into yeah. business to like, because the problem with the challenge rather with a new brand in this space is like I will get comments on Instagram all the time when I've got Instagram. Um, <laughs> that are like, you know, I know more about this stuff and this fucking brand knows about their own product. I mean, obviously the people that are making the product are fucking like lab technicians and scientists and shit. Yeah. I'm just the, the fucking brand guy that knows how I want to feel. I don't yeah. even care that much about the ingredients and I don't think my customers do either, to be honest. I think they want the outcome, which is that consistent buzz that like, like I said, like focus, energy, calm. They're like the three primary traits of rainbow dust. And, and honestly, like, Making the product, I, I actually rushed it a bit because I was so keen to get something to market yeah. ASAP because I hate just, it's the first time I'd ever spent any amount of time on money really developing a product before I had like market feedback yeah. and sales, which was kind of scary because I'm like, well, I think it's good, but does the market think yeah. it's good? And yeah, like I kind of rushed the first product and I hadn't actually tried the final version before it went live. Yeah. And like the first 3,000 units went out. But the reviews were very, very, very good and they have been like 95% solid. And I'm pretty relieved with that because, yeah, so it's, it's always a risk going to something new. But I think my, my instincts were right in terms of like the mushroom market, the way I branded it. 
I think yeah. It, yeah, I think it is. I think it's a I think it's a perfect angle to be honest. Especially with it like becoming more popular, like you said about like Netflix, how to change your mind, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, things like that. And like, you know, I used to listen to a lot of Joe Rogan back in the day and he piped on about it a lot of He's a lot. massive fan. Yeah, he is. And I can totally see why, like the the science behind it and stuff like that that they explain, it, it makes total sense. Like basically like obviously like more strong mushrooms basically allow you to rewire your brain. So like, you know, if you if you you know, it basically allows you to like change the way your brain works in it and like slowly morph it which obviously is quite hard to do like normally so i think i think it's a great product and i think like most people who see the brand you know probably think like the same thing and, like what what's your general reaction like when you show people like the brand and stuff like that yeah i mean i, I think yeah without giving myself too much credit I, th I think the branding is very unique i think it's yeah. going to get a load of people ripping it off and i'm already seeing quite a bit yeah. of that on like twitter and stuff people that are documenting building new brands and so on i'd never seen a product like a powdered supplement product that looked like that. Ever. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the packaging is very cool. Um, and yeah, like like I said, the reviews have genuinely been very good. I was kind of worried because I'd slightly rushed the development a bit, and mm -hmm. like I thought it was good, but I was thinking maybe I'm just biased. Yeah. But they genuinely have been good. Like you know, the the business gets messages every day, people like saying it's changed their life and shit, and I'm like fucking hell. Maybe, maybe it's a bit intense, but <laughs> it is good. Like it genuinely is good. Um, and yeah, I, I think like from a business perspective, like whole fucking grand long-term mission aside, it's like, it's a very simple business and it's subscription focused and like, yeah, I have like a, you know, I'd like to fucking change the world with psychedelics and, you know, go down in history as someone that pioneered that market and whatever, all that BS. But at the same time, I also really want to build it and sell it for a lot of money mm -hmm. and yeah, and I know I know how to do that in theory. I've got investors that have done that. They're you know helping me with that. It's like, it's kind of like a three to five year roadmap, really. Yeah. And the way you do that is by building obviously a very unique, strong brand that dominates the market, and you, you get a lot of repeat customers. That's obviously great for business. Yeah. It's great for valuations. And yeah, it's I base it kind of on Athletic Greens as a business model. Yeah. Because like I said, I subscribe to them. My lifetime value must be massive. Same with Huel. Like I must have paid them thousands of pounds over the years. And yeah, it's like, it's a very simple business. I mean, I've got other products on the way. Yeah. Dream Dust is coming next. What's, what's that about? It's a sleep product. Okay, yeah, I like it. It's fucking wavy. Yeah, but, so how does that work? Like, what's in there? It's another complex blend of other fucking ingredients. But basically the opposite. It's meant for sleep rather yeah. than focus. So the idea is, you know, people take that sleep, like the whole market angle is like, get the best sleep, dream about what you want to mm -hmm. achieve. Like the whole, the whole idea of the brand is very like aspirational and like utopian. Like obviously it's kind of pink and I reference like palm trees and shit a lot and like how yeah. it looks. And the whole idea is it's, it's almost like chasing that utopian life and you know, being in the best, best mental state to do it. But, and that's just me kind of having fun with it. Yeah. Cause I like that whole like pink 80s aesthetic. Evidently, because I did the neon shit as well yeah. before. But literally, I think I think it's it's, it's it's a perfect storm, really. I think, like, especially what you talk about, you know, I've not seen anything that's realistically in the UK, especially that's, like, really could even class as, like, competition yet. There's there's one or two, and I'm, I'm, I know them quite well, because yeah. my marketing agency runs all their shit as oh, well. Oh, bro, that's... But that's we're going to have to stinker. do something about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's actually one thing that I want to know. Like, obviously, when you're developing these formulas... Are you like testing each like batch? I'm a lab rat, yeah. Yeah. I've just got yeah. loads of samples <laughs> in my flat. And these batches ever like proper weird or whatever. A dodgy batch. I'm sure they're coming from scientists. I mean, yeah, like nothing would ever 
be consumable until it's like safe. But yeah, I've, I've tested loads of shit. So I've got like a gummy that I was working on as well, like loads of different products. Um, I'm also trying to work on, I'm trying to work out how to legally develop an actual psychedelic version, which mm-hmm. will contain psilocybin, which is yeah. the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, for those that don't know. That's still illegal, but... Yeah. So how's that, how, how's You probably have to do it in Amsterdam or something. Yeah, okay, or, or okay, in, okay. In the, in the Netherlands. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, there's loads of cool shit you could do. But also, like, when you get past kind of the exciting stage of, like, developing the products and so on, the reality of growing a startup is just you've got to focus on fucking money in, money out, and it becomes a bit more just fucking legwork. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. right at the start, it's kind of the honeymoon period. Yeah. Developing this product, it's all exciting. Then it's just like, I need more stock of it. We need fucking customer service on point. You know, we need our ad accounts running smoothly. Which and obviously not going too well with yeah, Instagram. Yeah, and there's always issues, of course. But also, like, and I'm just fucking rambling, so please ask me another question if there's something <laughs> you want to go on. I find it funny, because, again, like, the whole culture of... I go on Twitter a lot. It's kind of where a lot of like econ people are. I don't know if you are on there as well. But like people always talk about marketing, ad spend. Yeah. No one ever fucking talks about product ever. Yeah. Literally ever. Even though it's like the most important thing, because most people don't really care about product because they're running some dodgy dropshipping mm-hmm. stuff. That's just the truth. But like product development is you know it's way, it's it's way less glamorous because it can take months without seeing yeah. any money. You know it can take a lot of investment to make it happen. But that's really where you can build the moat around the business. Because like, it's very hard for someone to come in and rip my brand off. Because granted, that they could visually rip it off, but they probably need 50 grand minimum to even develop a product. Yeah, and the research and stuff like Six that. Six months, they need to work with the right supplier, you know. 100%. It, and I it think cuts that's, out a lot of competition yeah. right from the start. I think it's the ultimate driver in any business. Any business's success is like the product at the end of the day. You know, if people refer other people to your product, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm using this product. It's yeah, absolutely sick. Literally, that is like the ultimate biggest converter. And I think like Elon Musk is quite like a big advocate for this. He often says, you know, like, I don't really spend any time on marketing, which I probably believe he does. But like, yeah. you know, it's the most important thing is making like a revolutionary product that you can't get anywhere else. And like, if you want it, you like, if you want a product that good, there's only one place you can buy it. And then the word just spreads like a virus. Like think about like what he's managed to accomplish. And it's like, you know, there's the ultimate driver, you know, people are going to refer each other. And I think like that happened to us with like CCN at the start. Mm. Like you could literally like during COVID, it was literally like, cash hand over fist there was so much like shit to resell that people was literally referring each other like left right and center it was absolutely insane and then obviously as covid like drops off you know the profitability kind of goes down for like members and stuff like that although it's still profitable you know things like that are often hard to control and uh, in your situation like you know it's going to be kind of hard for you to control like making the product significantly better if you can't like add in psychedelics and stuff like that so maybe like the amsterdam route and stuff like that is probably a, a really good a really good shout. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can legally do yeah. with a consumable product. Like, you know, everyone's bound by the same rules and regulations. Mm. So really, yeah, every brand out there has probably got a good product, but I think that's why you have to differentiate yourself with like packaging, branding, the way you market it. And there's always going to be competition, but I think, yeah, right now, I'm, I'm the only brand I'm seeing, at least in the UK, kind of doing it this way. And it's a very new market as well. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, there's like one or two main players, particularly in the UK, but they all look the same. Yeah. And at least you've got the edge. Yeah. But, so what's like the most profitable avenues for you right now in terms of like customers and stuff like that? And how much is like returning customer? How much of your revenue a month is returning customers? Yeah, so we're going like pretty much bang on five months now. So that's fucking flying by. Um, yeah, done over like 12,000 customers now. 
got like 2,000 subscribers, which is good because it's just recurring. Yeah. Um, yeah, returning customer rate is probably like, I don't know, looking at Shopify dashboard, probably like 35%. It's pretty high. Yeah. So, and that's people either just buying again or subscribing, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And that's the thing that can really compound in a business like this compared to 100%. like a jewelry brand because someone buys a fucking necklace, they don't eat it. Literally. So they're going to buy another <laughs> one next month unless it's like a new design or whatever yeah. and even then they don't need it. So you want people to get, not addicted, but you know, really like the products and work it into their into their day 100%. to their life. It's almost like a SaaS business. It's not quite the same because yeah. the churn's always going to be higher and shit. But as a model, I think subscription's the way forward. I mean, that, that's why I very consciously went into it. But in terms of channel, yeah, I mean, but D to C is obviously the main channel we're selling mm -hmm. on. And in terms of ads, like Instagram, TikTok, Google, still heavily Instagram, even though I keep yeah. having issues with the account, which is getting sorted. Um, but then I've just launched on Amazon as well, which I've never yeah. done in the past. So, so how's so that going? That's going well, to be fair. I'd never sold on Amazon in my yeah. life until like three weeks ago. So, so I've got an agency running it, but yeah, it's just another, it's way more profitable than mm -hmm. D to C, way more, because the ad spend so much lower. Yeah, that's one thing. And it's, it's mad how like, because like usually when you make something on Amazon, I suppose though, people are probably searching like space goods and it comes up very like... Yeah, early. I mean, there's definitely an element of they'll see it on Instagram, they'll maybe buy it on, on Amazon. But yeah, 100%. Like, as an individual channel, yeah, it's a lot better. Then, I, then I'm looking at retail and stuff as well. Been approached by a few big retailers that are interested. But this, yeah. again, I've not really done that in the past, but one of my investors has a lot and that's where they made most of their profit in their business. But it's a different ball game because it can take months and you know, there's a lot of red tape with like massive companies and shit. Yeah, so I still think D2C is like, it's going to be the primary channel. Mm -hmm. um, and then still ads wise, it's always going to be Facebook, Instagram, at least in my opinion for now. A lot yeah. of talk about TikTok, but it just doesn't work as well. Are me. you doing? Yeah. The thing is with TikTok, the one thing I found is that like totally depends on like your actual content. You know, sometimes you can get really shit traffic yeah. and sometimes you can get really good traffic like that's really highly converting. But like, do you do any like organic TikTok or anything like that? Or is it just tried like, it? I tried it. Honestly, TikTok's the first channel where I feel like natively too old to get it. I'm like, fucking hell, I actually don't get this. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that we felt though. Like we felt like we never really used TikTok and stuff like that. And then it become like one of our biggest channels because like, and, uh, but recently in the last like month, I'd say it's become much more competitive. Like there's more yeah. people doing it. I've more seen people catching brands, on. I've spoken to founders of brands. This guy that runs this sex chocolate brand called Tabs. <laughs> Mad. And I spoke to him, and they were doing like huge numbers organically like a few months ago. Mm. So the algorithm changed. Yeah, I don't know what's business happened because they can't run paid ads yeah. because of the nature of the product. So I'm a bit, I'm always a bit hesitant to commit to a channel that can change that quickly. Yeah, I've seen it happen with Instagram organic like two years ago. Hundred percent. Used to get like mad reach organically. Now it's yeah. like nothing. It's like Facebook. You get a page with a million likes getting fifteen organic reach. Literally insane. So oh, TikTok's next. It has to be because yeah. They introduce, they get the users by doing all that shit. Then they say, we're monetizing the fuck out of it. You've got to pay to play. Literally. So I think paid ass. is always the way forward for that reason. But if you can add in organic on the side, which mm. I've played around a little bit. We had some video get like 2 million views and it definitely brought in traffic and sales, but it's one out of a hundred videos. You know what That's mean? what I mean. It's very hard to like narrow it down. Yeah. Into like getting that. And I think what, what you're probably saying is, you know, the TikTok is probably, they've probably started to realize that, you know, all this organic traffic is churning, like making people easy cash. Like, you know, what the co what's costing like these companies to make a TikTok that's like goes viral is incredibly cheap. Whereas they could just swap all that to ads and then mm. they make shit loads of money. So I imagine that's kind of, that's, that's gotta be their ultimate game plan realistically. If they're, if they're in it for making money, the only way they're gonna make money realistically is through ads. So they probably should like tone it down. Yeah. But, mm, very interesting, mate. Very, very, very interesting. Um, did you actually uh, migrate up to mushrooms? Yeah. What was that like? I do it a lot, unofficially. Yeah, yeah but how did you find it? 
as in like find find yeah, so that's what work yeah, I was yeah was someone like mm. um, I don't know if it was last week yeah and he said it and he just said he was just like working like 120% like too focused but I've definitely felt a difference when I've done it yeah to me yeah. you work like harder though and like or like we're more focused more creative I think it makes you more emotional mm. which for me interesting ain't necessarily always a good thing <laughs> D- depends who's replying to my fucking DMs on it. Um, but it definitely helps you get in touch with you. I- I'm absolutely convinced that you know all major music artists are fucking have got some custom psychedelic dose that they're on mm. I do not you cannot tell me Travis Scott is sober writing those albums I, I mean know. maybe not just psychedelics maybe fucking yeah. lean and other shit but <laughs> loads of shit like even like big tech CEOs you read about I mean this isn't facts it's like rumours but like Mark Zuckerberg's on some like mm. crazy like LSD thing I mean Steve Jobs was famous for it was he? Mad I didn't know that taking like LSD and shit um, crazy I'm not condoning it because it's still illegal but you know I'm pretty sure a lot of very successful people have experimented a lot with that because yeah, my experience, and I've I've never done like ayahuasca and shit. Yeah, I'm quite. I read a lot about that, you know, like doing those mad like monk trips in like some Japanese forest. Yeah, fucking yeah. quite intrigued to try, but yeah, it's just interesting. My take on the ayahuasca is that like, I'm worried if I was worried if I like did something like that, that it kind of like changed my view on life, and it might make me like not as like ambitious. And like, I've it might make me humble. That. Yeah. That's what my worry is. I'm like, oh, well, if I do it too early, then I might just fucking... Become like a zen. Yeah, and it Literally, I might just... Yeah, and it. That's my only worry with it. So I was thinking, probably wait till I'm a bit older until I'm a bit more successful. Yeah, and iOS is like a different level yeah. to like fucking mushrooms, but it's a similar kettle of fish. Yeah, it is interesting. I would definitely like to experiment more. Just need to get, go and do a weekend in Amsterdam. Yeah. That's where you can start. It's legal level. I'll have to try it, I'll have to try it. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, good. any of you boys got any questions? Quite a few hours to know, to be honest. I know, yeah. It's getting hot in here, isn't it? Yes, yeah, oh, mate, I'm sweating, mate. Anyway, pal, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. I hope I didn't ramble too much like I always do. Nah, it's, it's an inspiring story, honestly, and I hope for people listening, you know, who are thinking on starting business, thinking about doing everything, you know, it's a prime example of, like, starting £50 to eight figures-ish, and then, like... Starting all over again, but it's an insane story, an absolutely insane story, mate, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. All good, yeah. Perfect. Pleasure. Cheers, mate.